Folks, this morning I want to just briefly mention a few things as um, I do some teaching here. Um, and it's on Ephesians chapter 5. We're still trucking through God's big vision and mission um, in the book of Ephesians as Paul's written it. Um, but I just want to zero in on um, the whole area of marriage this morning. Now that might you know, sound like uh, for some that's not something that particularly you're in the area of wanting to talk about or it may be that it may be an area of um, a wonderful experience for you and you're like, yep, I want to hear more about this. Um, or marriage for you may bring a whole bunch of pain to the surface because you may have had a marriage that has fallen apart and you, you now find yourself divorced. Um, I also want to just acknowledge that sometimes in marriages we aren't happy. Sometimes in marriages we're, we're struggling to actually have this sense of flourishing in life. And so, you know, as we begin to talk about marriage, some of that stuff may come to the surface. And it's really important to just acknowledge that on the way through. We're not asking you to be perfect here and neither is God. He's just asking you to be authentic towards his vision and his heart for marriage. Of course, marriage is, you know, the hot topic, the nature of marriage, the, the what is the the construct of marriage, how do we understand it culturally and uh, at this time. I think next Wednesday it is the uh, the results come out for the uh, the postal um, survey on what is what does Australia think about in regards to um, gay marriage. And so there's, um, and should that reform the definition of what culturally Australia has understood to be marriage. So there's a lot on the marriage conversation right now that's going on for a lot of people. And uh, so I just want to sort of launch into some of this this morning. Um, Nicole and I, we've been married since um, 1992. And um, if uh, speaking from my experience of our marriage, Nick can talk pretty much for herself these days, <laughs> and I'm sure she'll you know, be glad to let you know her, her side of the experience. But from my side of the, the experience or, or my experience of marriage over the last 20-something uh, years is that I've found that in my relationship with Nicole, marriage has been an amazing invitation from Jesus to become more like him. Marriage has been an invitation from Jesus to actually become more like Jesus and come alive to who I am in Christ. <clears throat> Marriage, it just happens to be the vehicle. Um, you know, Ephesians 5.1 talks about Paul frames this whole conversation around being imitators of God, and we spoke about that a few weeks ago. And then last week we spoke about submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ, where we see the wisdom and the grace and the, the goodness of God God in Christ in others and we make room for that and we honour that and we bring that to the surface. And and marriage has been an ex a discipleship experience for me. It's been one where God has been showing me and inviting me to become more like him in the way that I am husbandly towards Nicole. My identity is not a husband. My identity is is that I am a child of the living God coming alive to my created divine purposes in God for the greater glory of God, for my joy. 
And what one of the ways that I reflect that greater purpose is that I am husbandly towards my wife, Nicole. Now, like I said last week, marriage is not the highest goal for every human being. Marriage is not the goal of why you've been born. Marriage is not that goal. As I mentioned last week, your goal, your divine purpose, your The reason why you're here is because you have been born by the creative will and purposes of God that you would reflect his great glory and love to the world, that you would bear that image, you would live in the power of that image, and that image would be a gift to the world and joy to you. My marriage relationship is um, one where I learn to become more and more like Jesus, and in that process, um, I get to see, one of the things that I really do love is that I get to see Nicole operating more and more as we go on into greater and greater fullness of her true identity in Jesus Christ. That's been my pleasure. That's been my joy. That's been my, I get to, I get to see this up close and personal more and more as we continue to go along. I get to see her in my marriage, in my husbandly relationship with her. I get to see her coming alive in who she is. And I get to see her coming alive in the way that she loves me. I get to see her coming alive in the way that she loves our children and serves their need as an incredible mum. I get to see her champion so many people beyond the context of our nuclear family. I, I, the way that I love her in our marriage relationship impacts her coming alive to her greater cause in God beyond the immediacy of our nuclear family because our nuclear family is not the goal. Our nuclear family, though, is to release a greater revelation of a story that God is inviting everybody into, that he's restoring all things to himself through Jesus. You get the, Are you hearing the focus here? I hope you are. I hope you are. Because we don't want to idolise marriage. But we do want to say marriage is a wonderful gift from God to be able to release a greater revelation of who God is in the way that we go about serving and loving each other in the context of of a faithfulness marriage given to each other alone. I get to see Nicole as she pours her life out for the sake of the poor. I get to see her as she's through the course of a day wandering around and I can tell by looking at the expressions on her face and the way that she's walking, I can see that she's in deep prayer. Just, just, just by looking at that and I, when I see that, I get the joy of being able to fan that into flame through my own life of prayer, that she might come alive more and more. This is why um, we need to pray for marriages. I'm constantly awakened to the experience of becoming more and more like Jesus so that my wife can come more and more alive because as she does and the way that I do that impacts our world. It impacts our world. It touches our world with a greater story. To see her come alive makes me come alive. To see her dying makes me feel like I'm dying. 
that the two might become one flesh, as Genesis recorded. To see her come alive fuels my relationship with Jesus. To want to be more effective in my love for Jesus. To be more passionate about my pursuit of Jesus. To be more hope-filled with the cause of Jesus. To be alive. And in our Bible reading today, Paul calls those who are married to a higher, more lofty health of way of living in relationship with each other. Now, you've got to remember, these are a group of people who prior to Paul coming to town in Ephesus, remember the big story that we've been unpacking over these last few months. This is a pagan city. This is a city that doesn't know, hasn't known the reality of Jesus apart from this little group of believers that Paul discovers they get filled with the Holy Spirit, they come into a relationship with Christ, They've coming out of all of these lifestyles and practices of everything to do with their physical body, their sexual understanding of how they use their body sexually, how they understand themselves in regards to money and finance. And now all of a sudden Paul's saying, hey guys, now that you're the Jesus people in this town, there's another way of doing marriage that speaks of a bigger story where God is bringing all things that are broken and unrighteous back into wholeness and righteousness and health for the sake of the individuals and the world. God's on this big mission. And if you have your Bible there, quickly open it to Ephesians 5, and I'm going to quickly read here in verses 20, 21 through to uh, 33. It's um, We'll keep jumping. It is. keep There it is. If you haven't got it uh, in front of you, you can read it on the screen. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's where we were last week. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband's the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. Husband loves, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and through presenting her to himself as a radiant church without stain, without wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, guys, if, you, if you've got anything like going on upstairs at the moment, it's like, hey, I should probably pay attention to that. that that's actually what Jesus is doing for the church, but actually that's what I'm meant to be doing for my spouse, making her come alive to be able to present her to the world as, hey, unblemished, without stain or wrinkle, but this amazing creation of God. Um, you'll notice the focus on a lot of what Paul's writing here is he's really get. I mean, he speaks to the, to the women in the context of the church here, but he, he's really drilling hard again into the fellas. Because to this point, men in this context of Ephesians have understood marriage purely in economic terms. How can that being married to that person give me economic stability, give me influence and power in society and ensure an ongoing blessing for the generations that come from my family line? So it's, it's been all like that. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. There's a whole other way of doing marriage now, guys, and you've got to come into an understanding of that. But he's saying it to a people who have been filled with the Holy Spirit. So they're going... Actually, I want to learn this new way. I want to come alive to this new way of relationship. And so um, this is what Paul's doing here. He's talking to the fellows a lot. 
Um, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Uh, after all, no one's ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And then he quotes Genesis, the Genesis account. So he's reaching back into the long story of God and he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So now, just let me side note that. If you go back to that story, that account in Genesis, where God is setting up the positive procreation order of things, God is building a positive construct of human life and flourishing. And so God is saying, hey, for the well-being of the world, for, for the health of creation, for the health of society, for the health of people, the best God construct is that a man and a woman shall come together and become one flesh. <clears throat> and so that's the God agenda. That's the God agenda. Now, there's all sorts of other agendas that everyone else wants to have and Good luck to them, you know. But that's the God agenda. That's the positive God construct. There is no other, right from Genesis right through to Revelation, there is no other positive construct of marriage or the agenda of God in terms of two human beings being together for the sake of the health of the individual, for the sake of family life, for the security of society, for the well-being of creation and the salvation of the world. There's no other positive construct. There's no other illusion. There's no other picture. There's no other, like, well, maybe you could give this a go or try that combination or whatever. The, the, the biblical worldview is that, that, that man and woman is the God ideal and agenda to be able to bring true flourishing of God's great kingdom agenda. Um, so... Um, for this reason, so he's reaching back into the long story of God there, and he goes, "Now this is a profound mystery, because while he's talking about relationship, the marriage relationship between men and women, he's also at the same time interweaving this with the relationship and the picture of Jesus and his relationship with his church, and so he's constantly weaving from one to the next to try and help the marriage relationship of men and women get a sense of understanding and life." from the reflection and the power of the love and the activity of Jesus with his people. And it's out of that relationship that Jesus shares with his people, as together these people walk this life together in the earth under his goodness, that gives, an, gives a, a window, it gives a um, picture and an invitation of what marriage is really meant to be like between a man and a woman. Um, however... Uh, I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the, lo and the wife must respect her husband. Now, there's this word there that a lot of people like to sort of quickly zero in on and that is that the husband, verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife. If we could flick to, yep, there we go. Now, traditionally what happens is we want to read that scripture in terms of the hierarchy of gender. And so we would go, oh, Man, woman. We tend to read it through that lens. That's not the lens that Paul is writing with at all. Because traditionally what happens is we read that word through our, our very broken and our Western understanding of if anyone's going to have a position, then that the posturing of that position is for power and influence. And Paul's not writing that at all. 
He's, he's saying it a whole different way. And in fact, what he's saying is this word head. He says, if you're going to use that word head at all, you cannot separate that word from who the person of Jesus is. So if we're going to start to talk about headship, what we're talking about is Jesus. Now, you just got to go back through the Gospels. What does Jesus do? Who is Jesus? What is Jesus? And when Jesus makes the claim, when you've seen me, Philip, you have seen God the Father. And, and um, oh, I'm trying to remember who wrote it, but um, that says that when we have seen Jesus, we have seen the exact representation of God. So headship, this word, kephale, I think, kephale, thank you, John. It's great to have a Greek scholar in the back row. Kephale, it basically means like to be a source, to, to be a, a source of life that flows toward another. A good illustration of this might be, do you remember Oh, a number of years ago when Brisbane flooded during that summer of whatever it was, just a few years ago, 2011, was it 2011, where Brisbane flooded? And, and the reason why it flooded was, you know, there was a whole series of tidal things that were going on at the same time. But basically, the big dam systems out west in the Brisbane Valley, they all got full up. And then all, it had nowhere to go except to break out over the spillway and come rushing down through the causeways that were in place. And as a result, that water just broke banks and filled everything in all these spaces. And this, this, this idea of headship or being a source is like this life of God that is like this massive dam in the heart of God that is just breaking forth and bringing life to everything that it can in its path. I mean, Ezekiel has a great vision of that in, in, in Ezekiel, I think it's uh, 2037, I think, where he sees the throne of God and flowing from the throne of God is this river that, that touches everything and brings life to everything along the way. It's that sense of this life of God that's bursting forth and coming through and touching everything. So when Paul is saying, hey, husbands, you're the head of your wife, what he's saying is, if you look anything like Jesus, which you should be coming into the reality of now that you have been baptized in the person of the Holy Spirit, men, you should be a source of life, the life of God for your wife. And as you do that, it will bring her alive and bring her into the fullness, again, of the supporting the work that Jesus is doing in her, that she would come into her true identity as a person. This is what headship looks like. It's got nothing to do with being over or under. That's not what Paul's writing about at all. So you've got to take that lens that we, we use to apply to things in terms of understanding posture and position because we, we, we broach it from our old man. We broach it from our old way of thinking because we go, I'm, we don't fully understand our true identity in God. But what does Jesus do? Jesus John 13, what does he do? They're all sitting around the table and no one's washing their feet. So what does Jesus do? And it says he, ex he showed them the, the, the extravagance of his love. What does he do? He disrobes himself, 
puts a towel around himself and washes their feet. That's headship. That's what it means to to be a source of life. You don't claim power over. You actually take the servant life to bring life and service as a source of the heart of God for those around you and particularly in the context of marriage. It's a, there's a big call to the fellas. Hey, come on, guys. There's a Paul's saying, hey, come on, stop, stop living in relationship for the sake of power and influence over to control and manipulate. He says that's not the way of the kingdom of God. That's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to take, take on a robe and wash your wife's feet. Serve what God's doing in her life that she might come alive. Because in doing that, you actually come into your divine purpose and callings in the earth as well. You actually come alive in your discipleship to Jesus. What else does Jesus do? Well, Jesus also, if Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 2, it's, um, it, Paul says, you know, even though he knew he was God, he didn't consider that something to grasp. Instead, he took on flesh and came and dwelt among us. In other words, he, he yielded his, you know, his position of all things have been made in him and through him and for him. And it was his very self, his word, that spoke creation into being with great power and authority. And yet he chose to take on flesh and come and serve the agenda of God, the heart of God, so that all things could be restored back to God. That's headship. That's, 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 what, that's what headship's about. That's what Paul's talking about here in the marriage relationship. This word head, or as it's kafale, is a source of life, like that damn bursting forth that just flows and gives life and touches everything on the way. This is what it is. Jesus, like Jesus, gives life to his church. Well, how did he give life to his church? Well, the first thing he does was he demonstrated while he was on the earth how to go about kingdom life, and then he sacrificed himself for her to come forward. Hebrews talks about for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What, what was the joy that was on the other side of the cross? He knew that there would be a group of people in the earth who would get won over by the extravagance of his sacrifice to restore them to God. Is this making sense, people? I hope it is. Because if, if you can get this one, I tell, if you can get this stuff, that's why we've been sort of keeping the accelerator on it for the last couple of months, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. If you can get this one, and we'll finish off on it next week in Ephesians 6, we will crush the head of the enemy under our feet. And we will bring life to our communities, to the churches, to our families, to our friends. And there will be flourishing for the glory of God and people will come alive to their divine purposes. What else does he do? Well, Jesus lived in the security of the fact that he knew who he was, where he was from and where he was going. He lived in the security that he could forgive sin and extend mercy. Boy, <laughs> When it comes to Jesus, he's the one that says, I'll pay. 
Let me pay. Let me pay for you. He redeems, he washes feet, he brings justice to everything that is unjust and wrong and broken. Jesus steps in and says, I will bring my justness to this, my righteousness to this, and make everything that is wrong about this right again so that everyone can have life and fullness and, and great joy. You, Man, if we get that and live that, he makes everything that is wrong and broken right and healed again in himself, in his life, in his ministry, in his death, in his resurrection and in his ascension and even in his ruling and reigning right now. For the sake of the world... Jesus lived from a place of love and identity with the Father and the Holy Spirit, so much so that he yielded himself to them, and they then honoured his yielding by accompanying his life with the power of the Spirit and the affirmation of sonship from the Father. You see, this, this is what fuels and defines marriage. Jesus. It's not so much this. It's like the Catholic professor was saying. It's not just, it's not a knowing about a this. It's a knowing a who. Engaging with a who, a person, with Jesus. That is marriage. So what do our marriages look like? How would we say they are? You know, every day I'm given many, many opportunities to learn to become more like Jesus in the context of my marriage. Every day, Jesus brings me more and more alive to him, to his power, to his love for me, for my true identity in him as a resurrected creature coming into the fullness of the life that I was been, you know, prophetically given life for as God has won me through Jesus. I get to partner with God as he's bringing everything together for the sake of the world in the way that I love my wife. The way I love my wife impacts the sake of the world. Some might, that's, it's a bit of a hard one to connect that sometimes. But look, I, you know, I've used this story often. Nick and I, we were just driving along in the car one day laughing and someone that knew us drove up beside us. We didn't even know they were there until we heard the story come back later. But apparently someone was beside us and uh, that, that we didn't know and they didn't know us personally that person that came up beside us in the car knew a person that we did know. And in their conversation with them, they said, I drove past that couple that you talk about. And when I looked in their car, the love that I could see that they were experiencing between each other. I mean, we were just driving along, having a laugh. But it, but it, it somehow impacted this complete stranger. Enough for them to go, that's touched me enough to actually... Tell someone that, that that gave me life. The way we love each other, it's that simple statement of Jesus and yet massive call of discipleship, which is the, the world will know by the way that we love each other. <clears throat> I get every day the opportunity to become that Ephesians 2.10 person that we started out on. That workmanship of God in Christ Jesus in my marriage relationship. I get to do that every day. 
I get to partner with what God's doing in me. I get in my marriage the opportunity to prioritize someone over myself as a gift from God. I get to see when she, uh, I get to partner with God in serving her emotional needs. I get, I get to partner with God in serving her practical needs. I get to partner with God becoming that Ephesians 2.10 workmanship of God in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus to help serve her spiritual needs, her physical needs, her vocational needs and dreams and pursuits, her passions and her joys. That's what, that's what I get to come alive to. Now, please hear me. Please hear me. And don't hear the enemy. Please hear me and don't hear the enemy. There is no condemnation for those of us who are now in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for any of us in this room, no matter how well we think we're doing this marriage thing or how badly we feel like we've failed. There is no condemnation at all. None in this context other than that rotten enemy who will probably be in your ear right now wanting to surface every failure and every feeling that you have about yourself as I haven't done this marriage thing well. Shut that off and hear me in Jesus' name. There's no condemnation. We're doing our best. We're trying to follow the Spirit. I'm going to wrap this. Paul clearly says that this is not a position of power. Rather, it is a relinquishing of power position and it is taking on the nature of a servant. And that position is one of passion and love. And in doing so, the Jesus-like response that comes towards me as I serve what God is doing in my wife's life is that she honours me and says, thank you, good job, well done. Thank you for paying attention. I know that wasn't an easy choice for you, but thank you. That, that's the sort of stuff that comes back to me. And as I'm doing that, I'm being honoured. I'm being, like, praised and thanked. You know, praise and thanksgiving goes a long way to fostering a great relationship in all directions, <laughs> towards the Lord, towards each other, husbands to wives, wives to husband. Praise and thanks. Just just stop and think. Let's just stop. Let's Let's make this our praxis for the morning, all right? Close out, just everyone just close your eyes for one minute. I'm going to get really terribly practical, but just for one moment. And ask the Lord, Lord, other than you, who is one person that I can in my life right now who I can thank for their attempt of loving and serving me? And would you give me the words and the courage and the love to actually go and verbalise that and thank them? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now that's, that's assignment, okay? That's everyone's assignment after we go out of here today, all right? That's your assignment. Let me land this one. Men... In this place, God's calling you to a discipleship journey to become more like Jesus. God's calling you into a place of servant living and loving your wife. 
God is calling you and me to wash their feet, to spend our life so that they might come alive and to dance with the life of God so that she might come alive. To forgive, to bless, to be like Jesus, to be fueled by him. Women in this place who are married, God is also calling you to this very same experiences of Jesus as he submitted to the Father and the Spirit as you lovingly honour your husband in his desire to serve you that you might come alive and flourish. My hope is, and I've done a really light sort of skimming here, my hope is that we might catch the heart of the importance of why marriage is such an incredibly important vehicle of God's for the sake of the world. My hope is that no matter what the world wants to do in terms of definition or understanding or, or models or ideas, my hope is that we might come alive in the heart of God and his divine purposes to celebrate and honour and bless marriages. And for those of us in the room today who have um, walked through a marriage experience that has not been life-giving, that has, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, has found you divorced or single, please know that God is for you. He is not against you. And he, he can do a work in you by his love to restore that understanding of marriage. I'm not saying he's going to restore your marriage. I'm saying he can restore your understanding of marriage according to his great love, according to his great kindness. Jesus submitted to the Father. The Father honoured him with sonship and authority. Jesus submitted to the Spirit, and the Spirit honoured his life with presence and power. And like Jesus gave himself for the sake of the church, so too God invites the Christian community through the writing of Paul to understand and bless and esteem marriages as a gift from God for the sake of the world. Can we just take a moment to pray for marriages? I feel like that's ministry time today. We just, we're going to pray for marriages. And for those of us who aren't married, there's nothing, I, I, I want to say, it's incredibly powerful to not disqualify yourself at this moment from participating in this because remember, your highest purpose is not marriage. Your highest purpose is to bring the life of God to those around you. And in this case, it may be those who are married and to pray for them. So anyway, I just want to pray right now. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, Paul's writing and we thank you for um, just incredible revelation that he had of marriages and how that, some of that works. And I just pray, Father, for everyone in this room that's married, 
No, I, I, we, we pray, we pray, we pray for everyone in this room that's married. We pray, Father, just pour out your spirit on marriages. Father, pour out your spirit on the marriages in this room. Pour out your spirit on the marriages of the people of our city. Pour out your spirit on the marriages of our, that are in our nation. Pour out your spirit, O oh God. And undo the ruining work of the enemy and make all things right. Lord, where there's um, um, marriages that are, are, are suffering for all sorts of reasons, Just break through. Let the headwaters, let that dam of your love and your heart that just bursts forth just come down the valley now and bring life, that, that river of life that flows from your throne, that, that source of life. Would you bring it to marriages, Lord? And would you let that water find its way to the deepest part, to the part that needs it the most to bring resurrection and life to those relationships? Bless marriages, Lord. Do a work through us here at Pine Rivers Vineyard, Lord. Let the marriages in this place be a, a, a wonderful story of Jesus to the world, bringing life and light and hope to the world. Bless marriages, God. And Father, I pray for the men in this room that are married. I pray by the grace of your Spirit, you show us how to love well how to love like Jesus does. And same for the women in this place that are married, Lord. I pray that you would again draw them too into a great place of loving discipleship with Jesus for, for their divine purposes and for blessing their husbands and honouring their husbands. Lord, there's so much around this whole subject matter. I feel like I've only just like, I don't know, gone two metres in a hundred metre swimming. <laughs> I feel it's just so... There is so much, but I'm just trusting you, Lord, in this. That by your spirit, you continue to teach us of your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, folks, this, this <clears throat> I, I do want to encourage you um, that uh, invet, keep, for those of you who are married, please keep investing in your relationship. Please keep investing in your relationship. Relationships fail for lack of investment. And so just continue to ask Jesus to give you his heart, give you his passion, give you his resources for your marriage. Keep reaching for Jesus and he can bring life to all things. He's the king of the resurrection.